0: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Uh, we are in a series going through the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles. So if you have your Bible, you can grab them, open them, um, open them on up to Acts chapter nine. Um, we're gonna really unpack Three chapters of scripture, Uh, don't worry, it's not going to take us too, too long, Um, but we uh, really, I just have two very simple points throughout those three chapters for us to consider today. And the first is that even while beautiful things are happening in the church, we're going to see there's some really incredible, profound, beautiful things happening in the church. There can still be some really intense personal struggle. And I think that's true even to this day. There can be some really amazing things that we're celebrating in our church, happy about in our church, while at the same time there can be people sitting next to you in these seats, or maybe you are the people in these seats, and you're going, I'm, I'm going through it personally right now. And it's not as well as it maybe looks as we're all gathered together singing and rejoicing and shouting, but really I have some hard parts in my story. And at the same time, even when the most difficult and, and oppressive situations are happening around the church, we're going to see, this is the second point, That really, that's when the church does some of its most beautiful work. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we're right on the heels of of. Saul encountering Jesus, having his whole worldview change. what we talked about last week, where now he is totally reoriented from being the church's biggest opponent to now he is the church's biggest proponent. He is out and he is making sure that people hear the gospel, receive the gospel. He is going from city to city, encouraging people, and he comes back in. He's not welcome to the church right away. We talked about this last week, that sometimes everyone in your life needs a Barnabas where you're willing to go out and put your arm around somebody and say, hey, I know they're not welcoming you here, but you, why don't you come on in here today? Why don't you come on and sit next to me today and you bring them on into the church. And now what we have is we have Peter who really, a lot of this story, if you read through it, it's going to be uh, Peter telling the gospel to Cornelius. But as we see, I wonder if it's more Peter receiving the gospel because of what he's told to say to Cornelius. Now that doesn't make sense to you. We'll get there in just a second, but, but I want to unpack really that first point. There can be beautiful things happening in the church. While at the same time, you can, you can be going through it personally, struggling personally. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 32, is where we'll read. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, it'll be up on the screen, but I'd encourage you, if you can, read along with us in the Bible today. Starting in verse 32, it says Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who were living in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Now, can we just pause for just a second? Pretend this is today, okay? There's somebody bedridden for eight years. We know this person. They haven't gotten up, they haven't walked. Our church has been serving them well. We've been taking meals to them, we've been making sure they've been cared for. And all of a sudden, Peter shows up and he's like, hey, why don't you just stand up and walk? And he does. That's a pretty good day. And it says that it's not just a good day, although it's a great day for Aeneas, right? He gets out of bed for the first time in eight years. Sometimes that's, you know, what my Sunday afternoon nap feels like, you know? Stand up and I'm like, I don't, I haven't done this in years, you know? All kidding aside, this man stands up and walks and all the residents come to know the Lord. And it keeps going. Now there was in Joppa, so different place now, a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days, she became ill and she died. So here's a woman that, again, she's part of our church. We know her. She's serving the least of these. She's making clothing for people. She's out. She's, she's doing it. And all of a sudden, she tragically passes away. Since Little was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and he went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. Where where Dorcas was, all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter pulled them all outside. He knelt down and prayed, turning to the body. He said, Tabitha, stop it. That's not what it actually says. That's just, you know. (laughs) Tabitha, arise, and she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So, I mean, two short stories here. But can you just imagine the bustling scene of the church in that day? Like, there's people getting healed. There's people getting set free. There's dead people coming back to life. There's people getting saved. There's people getting loosed from their bondage of whatever it is going on in their life. Like, we, we would call this revival, wouldn't we? We would be excited if we were a part of that church, wouldn't we? You would go to that church if you weren't going to that church already. You would leave whatever church you were in and go, I'm going to the place where they're raising dead people from the grave. And I would join you. I'd be like, let's go. I'm leading the charge. This is an amazing, beautiful moment for the church. Miraculous things are happening and miraculous things are being prayed for and they're being answered. That's the biggest thing, right? It's not just so miracles are coming out of nowhere. It's that people are in real difficult needs and those needs are being met miraculously. This is an incredible thing. And so while all this is going on, I just got to imagine everything for the church, the church leaders, it's all up and to the right, isn't it? Notice how I did that with my left hand. So it was up and to the right for you. See, (laughs) everything's going great. Converts are coming. The church is growing. The message is reaching people. The church seats are starting to fill in and it feels awesome. And yet for Peter, who keep in mind is, is leading this thing in a lot of ways. Peter's going through a different kind of thing. We read it going on in Acts chapter 10. It says in the next day, they were on their journey approaching the city. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray and he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. Now, Peter before this has, has uh, he's, there's this man named Cornelius and he's staying with Simon the Tanner and Cornelius is being told to go to that house to go find Peter because Peter has a message for him. So, so what's important to know is Cornelius is, is not a Jewish person. And predominantly, what's been happening in the church so far is Jewish people have been receiving Jesus as the Savior, and they've been turning from Judaism to receive Jesus as the Messiah. The long-promised way to Messiah is Jesus, and they're coming to saving faith in Jesus, and they're all turning to now follow after the way, okay? They aren't called Christians yet. They're called little Christs or followers of the way, the way and the teachings of Jesus. That's what's mostly been happening all throughout Acts up until this moment. And so in this moment, though, Cornelius, not a Jew, is now told to go visit Peter because he has a word for him. So he goes to see Peter. Peter is on his way up to pray and he gets hungry. My man, right? Peter's so relatable in this way. But while they were preparing the meal, he fell into a trance. I'll just let you like creatively color in this dream on your own, okay? Peter falls in this trance and he saw the heavens open up. And something like a great sheet descending out of heaven. And it was being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. Now listen, reptiles and birds of the air. It's part of the scripture. It's in there. But if you're a Jewish boy, there's a certain level of things on the menu that you've never had before. Because you're a good Jewish boy. What's on the menu right there? Pork? So uh, tell me this. What's on that sheet in front of you as it's descending from heaven? sizzling bacon. Come on, you know it is, right? John, did you say that? It is, isn't it? It's just, it's, it's bacon, it's pork chops, it's, it's, a, it's a smoked pork butt, like it's just falling right down from heaven. And, and look at what happens. These, these animals, reptiles, birds on the sheet coming down from the air, and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, if this phrase doesn't make sense to you, let me put it into some context really quick. Jewish people would have had not just the 10 commandments from Exodus chapter 20 that they would have abided by, but they would have had over 600 Old Testament laws that they would have applied and lived by in their life. You and I have the luxury of reading the Bible with hindsight. We are living in America in 2023, and we have watched as all the church fathers have done their work and they've formed all this theology they've told us we can do certain things. And we have the luxury now of looking back and saying, well, of course we can have bacon. Of course we can have shellfish because somebody like theologically figured that out for us a long, long time ago. And we know the difference between the old covenant that was for the Jewish people and now the new covenant in Christ. And we know these things, but I would, I would submit to you that for Peter in this moment, he'd received Jesus as a savior. But he was like, Jesus never said, okay, now here's the new covenant manual of how you're going to live your life. Here you go, Peter. He was learning it as he was going. And so traditionally, like Peter would have sat at a table probably someday, right? This is me kind of stepping away from the Bible for just a sec. I just got to use my, my human brain to think about this. Peter would have sat at a table with his grandfather, with his father, and all they would have ever known was a certain set of dietary rules and restrictions that they had to live by and had to go by. Not just dietary rules, but rites of purification, ways that they were cleansed, right? So, so if you, to give it just in a nutshell, I don't have all the time today, but if you've ever wondered to your sect because you've gotten to see some sort of like TikTok theologian, which right there in and of itself, stay away, okay? Just be careful and, and listen, maybe what we would say, uh, chew, chew the hay and spit out the sticks, right? They might say like one or two words that are good, but probably most of it's not so good, Okay. But what happens with the, the Old Testament law is it's broken down really neatly. Um, um, what's his name? Augustine did this in three different ways. It's into the moral law. The moral law is upheld universally for forever. It's God's moral vision for people. So why do we not follow the moral law? Or why do we, why do we follow the moral law? Because that one never goes away. Then you have the civil law. The civil law was given to the Jewish nation because they were a theocracy. God was their king. So we have pieces of the civil law that are certainly applicable to a nation. If you want nations to go out, there are ways that you can govern, ways that you can order and structure your hierarchy of authority to make sure that you are living in a God-honoring way. And I don't have all the time to look at the Judeo-Christian values that are in our nation's founding documents. They're there. And some of that comes from even some of the civil law that's given to the Jewish people thousands of years ago. But then you have the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law is the way that they're supposed to eat, the way that they're supposed to be cleansed, the way that they're supposed to be, go about purification, and those things, praise God, are fulfilled in Christ. Okay, and so what does all that mean? Well, that means is you and I can have bacon, <laughs> and it means more than that. I mean, I mean there means that Jesus Christ has declared us as holy. We don't have to go through this purification process. If you remember all the way back to, I think it was Caden's sermon, all the way back in in January this year, like there's not a veil that exists between the sanctuary and the hallway. We have ways that we can step in and we are declared clean by what? By the shed blood of Christ alone and our faith in what Jesus has done for us. That's how we're able to enter in. But again, that's you and I sitting here with the luxury of all the work that theologians have done before us. Peter, in this moment, is having a real moment here where he is all of a sudden having to relearn that, wait a sec, Jesus fulfilled some of those things that I'm so accustomed to living by. All of his family tradition, all the way, like every single way that his family would have prepared a meal forever is now being undone. And so, remember the story, Peter's on his way up to pray, gets hungry, falls into a trance. I got to imagine someone's right there cooking bacon. He's going, okay, can't have that, can't be near it. Got to do this, got to do that. And all of a sudden there's this sheet that comes down from heaven filled with all sorts of animals, birds and reptiles. And and the saying is, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's like, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. It goes on to say, and the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once from heaven. When the Bible's repeating itself, do you know what it means? It means you're not getting it the first time. (laughs) So, Peter's our boy. We love to pick on him. I think he's all gonna give us a collective kick in the shin when we get to heaven, right? But why doesn't he get it? Because it says in the next line, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean. I'm always, as, like, as I'm reading the Bible, as I'm thinking about how to communicate the Bible, I'm always looking for the tension in the text. Like, where's the line that doesn't make sense? That line to me doesn't make sense. Peter is inwardly perplexed going, what does this mean? Peter, it's pretty clear what it means, bro. Don't say that you can't eat stuff that God has already made and he's determined it's clean right? God says it to him three separate times. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. God, I can't eat that. God's like, don't, don't say that you can't eat that. I made that. It's clean. It's good. Eat it. He's like, ah, I don't know. God's like, eat it, dude. And then he's like, man, what does that vision mean? Peter, eat it. But can't we, can't we acknowledge and can't we relate and empathize with Peter? that when you've grown up a certain way of living, it's really hard to have your theology be changed. It is. So remember, zoom back out for just a sec. Beautiful things happening in the church. People getting saved. People coming to saving faith in Jesus. People getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. People getting set free from different sins that they've been committing all their life. People finally coming and acknowledging that Jesus is who he says he was. People getting raised from the dead. People that couldn't walk for the last eight years are now standing up, walking around, praising God in the sanctuary. There's amazing, beautiful things in the church. And Peter, I would argue, is in this inner turmoil. that He's having a hard time unlearning the old covenant and receiving the new covenant. The reason I would say that is because if you flash forward, let's keep going in Acts chapter 10, then we'll go over to Galatians. Acts chapter 10, it says, inwardly, he was perplexed. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And on the following day, they entered, Caesarius Cornelius was expecting them, and they had called together his his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted up Cornelius saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as they talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. So now all of a sudden, Peter's starting to realize that that there's a message for me to preach here. He said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for Jews to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Hear that line, because that's real. God had given the Jewish people really specific instructions not to mix, not to intermarry, not to mingle with other races. And the Jewish people failed at that in a lot of different turns throughout the Old Testament. But what it had created now even in the time where Jesus was walking, was now Jewish people are seeing the Gentile people as unclean, as dirty. So Peter thinks this vision is about food. Really, he's seeing that this vision is about people because he's saying, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person uncommon or unclean. Look what it says in Acts 10, 24. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why did you send for me? And while Peter was still saying this, I'm sorry, I missed a verse there. I didn't put it in my slides. So Peter opened his mouth. This is verse 34 saying, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Okay, this is like an amazing moment here, right? And I th- we, we would just cruise through the story because we're, again, we're just looking back and we're just reading it. And it's just written down in a couple chapters. But do you realize that this story is the moment when the promise that was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where, where God picks Abraham and says, through you, all the families, all the people of the earth will be blessed. All the different people groups of the earth will be blessed. If we flash forward to Revelation chapter five and, and John sees gathered around the throne, a vast number, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people, all the ethnos, all the people groups are there worshiping the king? Do you realize that even in, in John three sixteen, 16, when we see, for God so loved, who? The world that he gave his only begotten son so that not just the Jewish people, but whoever would believe in him will have eternal life. Do you realize that all those segments, all this thing that's been happening all throughout history where God's grand plan ever since the fall was to redeem all people of every tribe, of every tongue, every nation. He was going to use the Jewish people to start it, but then he was going to use Jesus to bring in the ultimate covenant that he intended for the world to see to it that you and I, Gentiles, people who didn't grow up Jewish believers, could now all of a sudden receive Christ and receive the cleansing that he offers on the cross. This is that moment This is the moment where the promise now is going all throughout every different people group. This is incredible. This is one of the most epic moments for the church because so far in Acts, the gospel has gone to the Jewish people and it's gone all throughout Jerusalem and then it's gone to Judea and Samaria. And and even in that, if you read the story, it's, it's mostly all just Jewish people receiving Jesus as their savior. But now all of a sudden the Gentiles realize wait, we're being grafted into this family that God had planned for the whole world. Wait, now I'm I'm in on this salvation story. And it says in, in 1044, while Peter was still saying these things, while he's preaching the gospel to them, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing this people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days in a moment. Peter goes from having his whole worldview ripped apart that he couldn't have and eat certain foods to realizing now that this is the narrative to graft in all the people as well. And I would just submit to you that this moment, while it reads pretty quick in four short verses, was actually probably really, really difficult for Peter because he'd worked his whole life to protect his purity and his cleanliness. He'd worked his whole life to eat a certain way. He'd worked his whole life to follow certain customs and certain traditions. And all of a sudden now, these Gentiles in a second, in an instant are repenting and experiencing the same kind of faith that he'd, that he'd longed for his whole entire life. That'd be a tough moment, wouldn't it? so tough, in fact, that if you, if you read the rest of the story, go over to Galatians. Now I've, we have the apostle Paul writing to this church in, in, in the region, uh, region of Galate, the, um, Galatia, this region of churches. And he's saying to them, don't fall back into your old ways of, of legalism. Really the topic, uh, is predominantly circumcision, which is super fun, right? Um, Apparently you don't think so. I, I don't either. That's why we're not going to read the whole book. Um, you can read it later, but they're falling back into this like old legalistic tendencies of the Jewish people. And, and Paul, Paul writes, he says, but when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, what does it say there? I opposed him to his face. I, I did all the research that I possibly could, and I couldn't really find the answer for this, but this chapter two starts with this line. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. It seems to me there are years in between Peter's first moment where he has this vision with the sheet and he has this moment where the Gentiles start to believe. And now 14 or so years later, Paul's coming back and Peter is still struggling with racism. It says, I do oppose him to his face because he stood condemned for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What he's saying is, how can you submit yourself again to the law and expect all these people to follow the law when it's by grace you are saved through faith? So again, zoom back out to the main point of what this sermon is supposed to be. There can be amazing, incredible, beautiful things happening in the church. The moment in church history where all of a sudden the gospel goes forward to the world now. We're going to read starting next week how this this begins the missionary sending movement now in Acts where the gospel starts to reach all kinds of different people. And if you start looking, you know, like the, uh, I don't know, every zombie movie, outbreak movie, whatever there is, some pandemic thing, can't use that word, it's too soon. Uh, But, you know, there's always like a scene in those movies where, like there's some scientist in a room. He's got like the presidents in the room and the other scientists are in the room and the war generals in the room, right? And they're like, this was zero hours. This was two hours. This was four hours, 24 hours, 48 hours. And by two weeks, you know, the whole world's red and we're all gonna be dead. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's you know that scene in that movie, right? Like from this moment here on Acts chapter 10 through 12, we're gonna start looking as, as we start clicking. And all of a sudden this message starts going all the way out to the ends of the earth. Like it said it would in Acts eight. So there's beautiful things happening in the church. And yet, if we look at our homeboy, Peter, who keep in mind is helping lead this movement, is struggling with the sin of partiality. What does that mean? It means he's treating other people differently than than he would treat himself, or he's seeing other people groups as more valuable or less valuable than others. And partiality has no room in the church. It has no room in the church. Whether it's looking at a certain race differently, whether it's looking at a certain uh, economic class differently, whether it's looking at somebody who has a different sin background than your sin background, because we all have a sin background. But some get labeled differently. Some get labeled as worse. And there could be partiality based on how that person's dressed, how that person talks, how that person looks, how that person's cultural background feels to you. And we can, and oftentimes churches on Sunday morning look just as segregated as, as any other time throughout the week and throughout some of the most darkest parts of our human history. And, and it should not be that way. The church should be a place where we show no partiality to the world around us. It should, in fact, look like Revelation chapter 5, where it's every tribe, every nation, every tongue gathered around. And the main point of that is not even necessarily just diversity. The main point of that is that we are gathered together to worship Jesus. So here, let me say it this way. The church is not after uniformity. The church is after unity. Uniformity is where we all look the same, talk the same, think the same, dress the same, speak the same language. That's not necessarily what the church should be about. We shouldn't just be reproducing disciples that look exactly like our church. We should be reproducing disciples that are after the mission of Jesus. So we're after the unity of the mission of Christ on this world, regardless of how much money you make, regardless of what color your skin is, regardless of what kind of backstory you have with your family growing up. It doesn't matter as much as what matters is we are in here experiencing, seeking the grace of Jesus Christ to continually transform our life. And Peter has this tough inner working because he's with the Galatian church that gets so messed up and caught up in legalism. And Peter, as he comes, there's these Judaizers that are in there. And as soon as they start separating themselves from the Gentiles, Peter's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. they're unclean, they're uncommon. And Paul comes in, he's like, I had to oppose him to his face because he was condemned already. There should be no partiality in the church of Jesus Christ beautiful things happening in the church. The moment where now it's the focal point where it's not just gonna go to the Jewish people, but it's gonna explode now out to the rest of the world, the rest of the people groups. And you have this deep struggle personally in Peter where he's trying to work through this deep conviction that he has and God's trying to work out in him, but he's having a tough time. And I empathize with Peter again because it is tough to unlearn some of your traditions and some of your theology to accept now this new covenant of grace. Like that would be a hard moment to embrace you thought you were saved this way. Now Jesus says you're saved this way and those things are different, right? And so I have three encouragements for people who would be sitting in the church here today and you're going, I see the beautiful things happening in our church. I, I, just a couple of weeks ago, I, we had our serve team in the room and I shared the numbers of what ha- was happening with our church over the last few years. Our church has just grown consistently since 2020. We've just like numbers, 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 and it's just been great. There's all these things happening. I mean, uh, a couple times we did baptisms, like we'd had, had 13 plus people getting baptized. Amazing things. I'm talking to some of you and prayers are getting answered. Breakthrough is happening in some of your families. There are amazing, there's amazing momentum. And yet I've sat down with a couple people this week going, I'm really struggling personally that this thing is still going on in my life. I had two separate sets of friends that I sat with and prayed with this week and one's just waiting for this answered prayer they've been waiting for for a long, long time. I'm going, I see that God's doing good things there. I see that God's doing good things here. I see, I see what's happening there. And yet, where is he for us? Some of you feel that way. You're sitting in church and you're looking at the people next to you and you're like, they have their hands raised during worship and it's like, man, you're having this, This is this amazing thing that's going on this gathering right now. And you're going, but I I feel distant from God if I'm honest, right? I have another friend where he's just like, man, I'm so excited about what's going on in the church, but work is impossible right now. Family, I go home to try to get some reprieve there and it's just as difficult at home. And so listen, I don't know what the struggle is, but I know there are countless numbers of people who step into this room every single week. And on the one hand, you're thrilled to be a part of this community. And on the other hand, You are struggling inside. Maybe it's besetting sin that you're just like, I just can't seem to get victory over this thing. It just keeps plaguing my life. Maybe you're like, man, I just see everyone getting in small groups and everyone seems to have some friends here. Everyone seems to have some community, but I keep trying to get involved and I can't find friends and I'm still lonely. Maybe you're coming in here and you're just going, man, I am desperate for a miracle. I need a breakthrough. I need this healing. I need this reconciliation. And I I see other people happening. It's happening for them. I hear the testimonies over here, but the story's not there in my life yet. God, where are you at? That is all too common for so many people who come into the church and they're thrilled about what's happening in the church. It's beautiful things happening in the church while struggle, deep struggle is happening personally. I just want to bring that up to say, hey, you're not alone. There's tons of people going through it too. And here are my three encouragements for you. The first is that the gospel on the one hand works instantly, And it's deep work still takes a lot of time. So on the one hand, you believe Jesus, you receive him as your Lord and Savior, you are instantly saved. Your passport to heaven is immediately punched. And the deep work of the gospel, that long word called sanctification, where we start to try to get rid of the sin in our life and we start to put on the new life in Christ and we start to get ourselves immersed in a Christian community, all that, that takes time. Look in Galatians chapter three. Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified, as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The temptation when you are struggling in a church is that you will revert back to works of the law. And you'll say, well, if I just behave this certain way, then God will do these things for me that's falling back into the yoke of bondage of the law. That's falling back into slavery. That is not living in freedom. What you have to embrace about the gospel, it is that it's by faith you were initially saved and it's by faith that you are continually saved and continually transformed. So you never graduate from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is by grace that you were saved. It is by grace that you are still being saved. So keep persisting. That's my second thing. Keep going. If you're struggling right now, personally, if you're struggling to get involved, Keep persisting. Don't stop. Don't give up. Paul concludes his thought in Galatians. He's concluding the letter right before. I love the verse eleven. I don't have this for a slide. You can throw six, uh, nine, and ten up. In verse eleven, he's like, "Do you see by which large letters I'm writing to you, Galatians?" I love, like I just picture picture Paul with like a Crayola crayon. He's just like etching these letters out, just huge. He's like cap cap locked, bold, different color in the email. He's going the whole way. You know what I mean? But right before his concluding thought, he says this, don't grow weary of doing good for in due season you will reap if we don't give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. So my first encouragement to all those of you that are struggling right now is that the gospel takes deep work over time. It is a long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson puts it. The second thing is don't quit then because it takes a long time you will receive the harvest. It might take until glory when we're in heaven for you to receive it. But if you keep pressing on, you will receive it. I'm not here to promise health and wealth. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that guy. What I am here to promise is that the Bible tells us don't grow weary in doing good because you will see a harvest even if you don't see it this side of heaven. But, but you will see it, I promise you that. There will be crowns that are given out in heaven. You will see it. It just might not be the timing that you want to see it, but you're called to persist. And then notice that second line is especially of those who are in the household of faith. What does that mean? That means some of you, you're not going through it right now. You're not struggling right now. You have found quick connection. You have had the miracle recently. You need to realize that there are people sitting next to you who are struggling still. And so be kind and do good, especially to those who are the house of the household of faith, a part of the family. Look down the row. Who looks like they're having a terrible day, but they're putting on the church face when they walk in and they're doing their best, but you can tell something's not right. What can you do for those, for that person in that moment? The third thing that I would say is stay connected to the community. Don't lean back. Don't check out. If something's not happening, if you're not getting the momentum that you want spiritually, don't lean back. Stay plugged in. Look at this in Acts 11. Peter comes and he brings this good news of all the Gentiles. He's like, dude, the whole story's coming together. And look what happens. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Praise God. We should have seen this. They should have seen this as the moment that was promised to Abraham. They should have gotten excited. And what happens? So, they went to Peter in Jeru- they, so when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, the Jewish people, criticized him. Saying, you went to this uncircumcised men and you eight with them? You, what? And Peter had to begin to explain to them. And it says, when he's done explaining it to them, it says, at first they fell silent. And I just, I wonder if there were some that couldn't believe it. But it said, then there was great rejoicing even in the Jewish people that now the Gentiles had received the word also. But I, you know, I've pastored a church now for a few years. Rarely do you preach a message and have unanimous agreement about how good that message was. (laughs) So I just got to imagine again, this is not in your Bible. Okay. This is me just using my human brain to read the Bible going, Peter preaches to all these Jewish people. And some of them are reluctant to believe that the Gentiles were worthy of being grafted into the story. And it says there was great rejoicing. And I imagine some people walked out the back door and they didn't come back. Beautiful things happening in the church. While still in the midst, there can be deep struggle on the behalf of the individuals. And at the same time, I just want to remind you today that when the most strenuous or harsh conditions are pressed on the church, that's often when she does her most beautiful and glorious work in the world. So you know this already, but let me remind you again from scripture today. Acts 12, verse one starts this way. About this time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belong to the church. Herod the king, doesn't that sound familiar? What's, this is Herod of Agrippa, right? Who's the other Herod we can think about? Oh, you mean the man who committed infanticide against all the two-year-olds and under when Jesus was born? Yeah, it's this guy's granddad. A Bad, bad, bad name to be remembered by in the Bible, right? Herod is laying hands, violent hands on people in the church. He kills James, the brother of John. So there's another martyr. There's another, another man who's cast down in, in hatred and in blood and vitriol, and he's killed. And it says, then, then Peter is locked up. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, right? He's all about winning the crowd, just like his granddad. Pleased the Jews, so then he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This is during the days of unleavened bread. Who so grabs Peter and arrests him. And my guess is he doesn't really have good plans for Peter after jail. My guess is that he has the same plans that he had for James. Public execution is on the way. And so just a reminder for you all that, that on the outside, externally, there's fierce torment now that's coming upon the church. And, and it says that after this, we'll read about it next week, that then the church prays and, Peter's miraculously set free. And from here, what we have then is the gospel starting to go and, and these guys are sent off and these guys are sent off. And now we have this missionary movement where all of a sudden now the church is catching fire. And, and if you read about it, we talked about it, Katie referenced it a few weeks ago. But this is the moment here where the dominoes start to fall for the church, to the point where it's eventually gonna topple the Roman empire with its, what it believes. So it's just a reminder for all of you that like we see, I, I see it. And I get worried about it. What's going on in Israel? And then I see the rumors about what Hamas is planning to do and coordinating to do on this one day, right? And some of you, you know, right what I'm talking about. And there are reasons to be cautious, for sure. I would never say there aren't reasons to be cautious and there aren't reasons to have your head up and to be looking around and to be attentive to what's happening in the world as there are wars and rumors of wars. But the knee-jerk reaction, so oftentimes from believers, is to go, well, this must be the end. This is when Jesus is coming back. And and listen, I just submit that to you humbly. I know there's a lot of people in in this room right now who are living with the mindset that we are in the very last of the last days. And you're sure, even though Jesus doesn't know the day or the time, you're like, "Ah, but I know. I saw that YouTube prophet. He told me he had these things. Listen to me. We can be attentive to what's happening in the world and we should be. And we should be attentive so much as it stirs us up to prayer. But if you don't have agency to go fix the Middle East, then I would suggest maybe you turn the news off for a little bit and you just get on your knees and pray. But listen to me, listen to me. The reaction, the reaction always from the church is to go, well, Jesus is coming soon, better buy nine months worth of food and, and two years worth of ammo, you know, like just bunker up, hunker down, wait for Jesus to come back. But that's not supposed to be the response of the church. The response of the church is still meant to be the great commission. Jesus' words, love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, love your neighbors yourself and go and make disciples of every nation. Acts 1.8, stay in the city, receive power from the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses. Those words echoed clear for the disciples in these days, even though there's persecution, even though there's people that are being killed, the response of the church is not to live in fear and to get stuck in a bunker the response of the church is to go and make disciples. Go tell the world the story of Jesus. Receive power. Here's the important note. Don't think you're powerful by yourself. If you think you're powerful by yourself, you're probably that, you're probably that person in the keyboard on the comment section firing off hateful things and, the, and you're like, I'm going to win some people to Jesus. No, you're not. Receive power from the Holy Spirit. And then go and love somebody. You know who you're probably gonna have to love? Somebody that if you are honest in your heart, you have some partiality against that kind of a person. They vote different than you. Their skin's different than you. They don't, li- they don't have the same living arrangement that you do. They don't have the same criminal record you do. Step across the line, show no partiality. The good news of Jesus Christ, it's for everyone. And so listen to me, I see it in the world. I get a little nervous. I see what's happening in Israel. I'm praying. I'm worried. I'm worried about some of our friends over there. I'm praying, but also I'm trying to be more diligent than ever at going and sharing the good news of Jesus with different people. Because if we really are in the last days, I don't want to be found in a bunker when Jesus comes back. I want to be found pushing forward the mission. Don't you? It says in Acts 12, 5, Peter was kept in prison. I'm sure the church had already made up their mind what was going to happen to him, except earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I love that in the most difficult of times in the world and what was happening to the church, you know who the church decided to be? Prayer warriors. They weren't waiting for a certain outcome, they were, they were going to pray. They were going to pray and they were going to meet and they were going to pray. They were going to talk some more, but then then they were going to pray. And I I just hope what God finds when he's in here looking for his church, I hope what he finds is a bunch of saints who've got a closet in their house somewhere, who've got a worn down spot on their jeans from getting down on their knees because we're praying. Guys, prayer is the intercession that we're making, pleading on behalf of God that we're trying to say, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Start with me, rearrange my priorities, help empower me, send me out there. You can't go out there without power. You'll get rolled, by the way. You need the power from the Holy Spirit. You need a fresh filling from the Holy Spirit. You need a fresh word, fresh direction. You need specific instructions from the Holy Spirit. And prayer is what keeps you in lockstep with all of those things. So it's just a gentle reminder at the end of this. Beautiful things happening in the church while deep struggle is happening personally. Those two can exist simultaneously. It doesn't feel like they can, but they can. They always have. And while there's terrible things happening in the world, that's oftentimes when the church is doing its most beautiful work. And I just want to anchor all of that in some prayer today. We have like 11 minutes before service is supposed to be out. And so I'd love if we could all just stand here for just a moment. I just, I wonder if we could have some vulnerability today to say, Austin, when you're talking about that person who's struggling right now, who's desperate for a miracle right now, who feels like God is far off right now, who's having a hard time getting connected, who's having a hard time with sin, you know, like whatever the struggle is, I'm wondering if you would just in a moment, raise your hand so that people around you could come and pray for you. And even as I I thought through this moment of service, I'm like, man, nobody's gonna do that because it just feels weird. But I thought to myself, I don't wanna put God in a box. And I don't think you should either. Oftentimes, can I be honest with you? What people will encourage us most with about coming to this church is not the pastor's sermon. It's not the worship team's music. It's about the times when we let the people be the church to one another and they get to love on and serve for and pray for one another. So I'm just asking you, if in all courage and boldness, if you're just struggling right now and it can be anything and you don't don't have to share with the people around you, but if you're struggling with anything right now, would you just raise your hand right where you're at? Anything on that list, if you're struggling. I see some hands up here, over here. You're waiting for a miracle. You feel like God's far away. Raise your hand, don't be shy. So now, hey church, look around. You got some people with their hands in the air. If you have no one close to you, that's all right. Just stand and pray where you're at. But right now, if you just have somebody next to you, would you just put your hand on their shoulder? Maybe even move around just a little bit so you can lay hands on somebody if they're okay with it. God, we pray that as a church, would we continue to see you do beautiful things in our midst. I thank you already for the people who are gonna get baptized here in a couple weeks. I thank you for the miracles and the answered prayers we're gonna read about by the end of the year. I pray that you'd increase our faith today to trust and to know that we're not gonna grow weary in doing good, but in due season, we will reap a harvest. I pray for the partiality that exists in any of us today. Would you cast it out in Jesus' name? Would we repent from the times when we've been partial towards people, showed favoritism, maybe ran away from somebody or steered clear of something that we knew you were calling us to, God? Would you help us repent of that and walk in, in a new direction, walk in a way that understands that the gospel is for every person, every image bearer of God, should hear the good news of Jesus. And God, I pray that you would fill us up with the boldness to share that good news. God, the world's a scary place. It seems to get scarier every day. Pray that you'd give us all kinds of wisdom on how to parent our kids, how to walk with our families, how to love people well. But God, above all else, would you help us see that your mission hasn't changed? The world's been scary before, but the church didn't shrink back. The world's gotten really dark before, but the light of the world was not meant to be placed under a basket. God, help our church be the light of this city. Help us be set in a prominent place where we preach about hope and peace and love and joy available to all who would come. Help us advance your mission, God. Jesus, we love you. I pray that we'd glorify you in everything that we do as we're getting ready to walk out of this building, God, help us to adopt the position of an ambassador of yours. Representatives from a different kingdom in the world we're living in today. Would we look it? Would we talk it? Would we walk it? Help us to see the places that aren't in alignment with how you made this world to be and help us to step into those places with a ferocious amount of love and a ferocious amount of grace as we try with all the power we've received from you to see people one to the good news and the story of Jesus. We love you, God. I pray that we'd glorify you in everything we do. It's in your name we pray, amen.